The following is a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, how you can support it, or applying to become a student, please visit www.gpts.edu. Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff and I'm your host, and today I have the privilege of welcoming into the studio Dr. Brian Cosby. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. So Brian is the author of about a dozen books, including one that was published a few years ago, Giving Up Gimmicks, Reclaiming Youth Ministry from an Entertainment Culture. Um, We will talk a little bit about that book later, but today we're primarily going to speak about um, his most recent book, Uncensored, Daring to Embrace the Entire Bible. So I'm going to dive in with some questions there for Dr. Cosby, but before Before we do that, I want to introduce him a little bit more. He's a senior pastor of Wayside Presbyterian Church, PCA, in Signal Mountain, Tennessee, uh, which is actually where the the man that introduced me to Greenville Seminary attends. So um, he emailed me when he found out Brian was going to be on and gave me a heads up on what to expect. Now he gave me a warm commendation of his pastor is what he did. But uh, Brian's also visiting professor of church history at Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta, Georgia. He also teaches courses at Covenant College and at Bellhaven. He and his wife, Ashley, reside in Tennessee with their three children. Um, And he also has some upcoming projects, include one that I'll let him tell us about in a little bit. But his educational background, he uh, spent some time in Birmingham, Alabama. He did his undergrad in history at Samford. He got his MDiv from Beeson Divinity School, and then he went on and did his PhD from the uh, or at the Australian College of Theology in church history, focusing on theology of suffering in the Puritans, and particularly uh, John Flavel. So he's going to tell us a little bit more of that as well in a little bit. Um, finally, he is the editorial director of the Gospel Reformation Network. And believe it or not, in about a half hour, I'm going to ask him about that too. So um, I'm excited to have Brian with us, and um, and I'm just going to dive into our questions here. Brian, as I promised our listeners, I'm really interested in hearing about Uncensored. Can you tell us what is the driving thesis or point of this particular book? Well, it actually came out of my own uh, my own struggle uh, and sin. Uh, this might be surprising here starting out, but uh, I was reading through Psalm 139 um, and my Bible and, and wonderful psalm about God's character as omnipotence and omnipresence. And, and, uh, and, and, but later in this psalm, uh, and it, after it goes through a, a section on, uh, you know, that we're fearfully, wonderfully made and in the womb. And, and then it says in verse 19, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Well, the first part was all underlined and highlighted. There's like exclamation points. I mean, my, my, my pen was doing this ink letting all over the page. And then I get to verse 19 and it's just, it's, you know, I almost felt like I wanted to skip it and, and, and finish with the psalm and lead me in the way everlasting. And I started to reflect on my own heart with that. And I'm like, I wonder if there are, are areas in scripture passages that I'm actually functionally embarrassed by. I would never admit that. Uh, except I guess on a podcast here, but I would, uh, but are there areas that I actually am kind of embarrassed by uh, about in Scripture? And so as I started going back through my own Bible and, and thinking through this, I was like, there is. And when I lifted up my gaze and I was considering this for the church at, at large, 
I've noticed that, you know, when you listen to Christian radio, uh, you're not going to hear certain passages uh, read uh, on, on, on Christian radio. Um, you know, when you're growing up in the church, uh, there's probably in, in a lot of nurseries and, and, and churches, there's murals painted on the walls. And you know, even something like the flood uh, is given a, a twist that's not accurate. You know, usually if you have a picture or painting of the flood, you have a you have a, an ark with cute animals smiling and a you know uh, bird flying off or something and but it doesn't convey accurately what was actually happening and uh, and I remember back in my own seminary days uh, I remember preaching a text from Second Kings chapter two and uh, we had to pick this passage out of a fishbowl uh, beeson and uh, Dr Robert Smith was my preaching professor and we had to pick hard text out of a fishbowl. And I picked Second Kings chapter 2, 23, 24. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I turned, I read it, and it was about this Elisha going up and bald head and uh, these boys coming out and jeering at him, calling him a, a baldy, and I'm paraphrasing, and, uh, and two she-bears coming out and, and tearing 42 of the boys. I was like, I never heard that growing up in Sunday school, or that was certainly not painted on the walls in you know, <laughs> a nursery at my church. I wonder why. Yeah. So I, but there's a number of texts, you know, stoning the adulterer, you know, that that I think that by and large, many Christians they just don't, they don't want to deal with, and uh, and so I started into studying our culture, and how, and as far as an evangelical, broad evangelical culture, how we by and large, have these this problem uh, that we want to censor Scripture and 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 really uh, cherry pick out the things we like for a feel good faith and leave leave the rest because we're we're too embarrassed by it. we don't know what to do with it and so um, that's why I wrote the book um, is is to address this problem that we don't need to be embarrassed by Scripture with all Scripture is breathed out by God. Yeah. And, and, and we are to proclaim, to preach, and teach the whole counsel of God, not just uh, a partial counsel. One of the responses to these difficult passages in Scripture, like the, the stoning of an adulterer or an adulteress, the, the slaughter of thousands upon thousands of Canaanites, the imprecatory Psalms, which you already mentioned, we could go on and on and on. One of the responses is embarrassment right? Embarrassment that leads to censorship or embarrassment that leads to forsaking the Bible and the faith entirely. What is the root issue here? Is it, is it a matter of trust in the scriptures? I think there's a couple things. That's certainly one of them is, is we, we simply don't have an adequate uh, doctrine of, of scripture in the church. It's not being taught. And when it is being taught or preached, oftentimes it's not uh, preached as the Word of God, uh, it is is as another book, and we'll include it with other. But I think another one, simply at a, at a root level, base level, is a, simply a fear of man, and and not a fear of God. I think that's at a, at a very base level that we're just we're just too afraid of rejection and what people will think about us. And uh, so I think at, at at a base level, that's that's where we are now. I, I'm not really addressing in in the book. Obviously, you have. Liberals and, and others that have just kind of gone off the, the deep end with this. I'm, I'm trying to address actually those that would profess faith in the Word of God and 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 even the inerrancy of Scripture and inspiration, all those good good things. But trying to uncover how often uh, we tend to do. I was in a, a church not too long ago, and some of your listeners will will um, understand this. 
Um, but at the time, I didn't get it. Uh, we were in worship, and, and we stood for uh, the gospel readings in in the worship, but not for any of the other readings uh, in, in worship. And I was like, well, I asked my host that, that was there with me, you know, why do we do that? And and he's like, this is just what we've always done. I'm not not really sure. Now, I heard another good answer later on about it, but still— and, and even, this is totally not a big deal, and my Bible has red letters in it from Jesus' words, but sometimes it can communicate that, well, maybe those words, the other words aren't that important because, you know, they're red ones. You know, or they're are, lesser important. Or they're lesser important. I mean, right? there, there's movements. There's at least one group called Red Letter Christians right. who emphasize the red letters in pseudo-Marcionite fashion That's right. uh, to the exclusion of the Old Testament as a whole or the Pauline epistles and Revelation right. and, and, and other things. So the first part of your book deals with this embarrassment issue. The second part of the book deals with the art of censorship. I'm imagining here that you dive into some of the methods that people use to censor those um, unpleasant uh, words in Scripture or those embarrassing words in Scripture. One of them you mentioned, the whitewashing of the ark, right? You know, you don't see on nursery walls people screaming for their lives on top of mountaintops as the ark floats by or people banging on the ark as the water's rising up above their right, knees or, right. or just dead animals floating in the water or whatever. You don't see those things. Um, what are some other methods that, that Christians use to censor the Bible? Well, there's certainly a number of topics that, that I, I, I feel that are, are, are uh, more censored than others uh, in Scripture. Certainly, I think probably the, uh, the, the biggest one being God himself, the, the full character of God, not just a God of, of love and grace and mercy, but also a God of justice. And uh, he's a righteous God and a God of, 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 of wrath. And um, and I think I think a lot of uh, evangelical Christians find some of those parts very uh, they're embarrassed by them they they don't know what to do with that and and they haven't been led unfortunately by by many to embrace it and to to love the full character of God because if God is 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 not just how is our sin dealt with upon the cross and and uh, and. I mean, some basic kinds of things. So I think like, the full character of God, I mean, the sovereignty of God is oftentimes attacked, uh, certainly. Um, but, you know, I think through some of those main topics of, of God and of creation, sin, hell, you know, uh, even even the success and gimmicks in the church. And, uh, you know, I have a chapter in there on, on outsourcing parenting. Uh, these are things that we don't really think about, but, but even we think, you know, we take take our car to get an oil change and outsource that and cpa does our taxes well i'll I'll leave the religious stuff to some religious professional you know for my child and 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 i'll you know be relieved of that responsibility Uh, so this is this is a problem on a number of areas that that maybe we're not really thinking of um and i had to do self-reflection here listen i'm 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 not one to cast you know unnecessary judgment here but i i had to do self-reflection on all these areas in my own life and 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 I had to repent and confess. There's there's some of these areas that were lurking in my own heart that I had to come clean on before the Lord and and say I need to love and cherish the whole counsel of God. All these various things and and uh, whether it's where's the the magnitude of sin in my heart or the reality of hell, you know these are tough things. So I think I think there's a number of areas that that we do censor. Uh, maybe not intentionally, but in reflection, I think it, it becomes pretty apparent. And there's a lack of fear or reverence of the Lord. And, you know, I'm not 
you know, I, again, I'm not one to, um, to gloss over my own faults in that area, but it seems that particularly in our culture, and maybe you'll tell us about this too, the Puritans complain about, I'm reading, you know, when you read Puritan books, they complain about their own time, that there's a lack of reverence, there's a lack of godly fear of God. We've made God into a puny God that we think we could pick up and, and, and throw around. I'll talk about sometimes, uh, I'll talk about Home Depot theology that, that mm-hmm. says that you can do it, God can help, that, that puts you in the driver's seat, and then when something bad happens, I guess I guess as one song says, Jesus will take the wheel at that point, but but we kind of treat God as a, as a divine Santa Claus or something that will, uh, you know, it's kind of creepy. He knows when we're sleeping, knows when we're awake, but he'll, he'll come to our rescue when we need it. And it's kind of what Christian Smith and those folks did up there uh, with, with the moralistic therapeutic deism. That's, that's totally true. The MTD problem is not just a problem of youth. It's a problem of the church. And uh, so certainly with the full character of God is, is I would say, the main issue. Uh, that we need to recover the the full uh, manifold perfections of God. Well, I I am looking forward to diving into this book in greater detail. Brian, thank you for bringing me a copy. I'm assuming you're giving this absolutely. To me. It's, it's all yours, good man. So I get it for free. <laughs> I may end up giving it to the library here at the seminary so others can benefit from it as well. But you all have to go buy it. Um, you those of you who are listening, it's published by David Cook. Again, the title is Uncensored: Daring to Embrace the Entire Bible. And I want to segue into discussing another one of your books that uh, came out a couple years ago. My pastor, or one of the pastors at my church, described it as the book that I was going to write, and then Brian uh, jumped the gun and uh, and and stole my idea. But it's a book I mentioned it earlier called Giving Up Gimmicks: Reclaiming Youth Ministry from an Entertainment culture seems you have you build on some of the themes that you develop there even in this book in uncensored but tell us about giving up gimmicks again I imagine was was written with the broad evangelicalism in mind with that as your intended audience what 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 did you do in that book yeah the book actually has a very negative title and I didn't come up <laughs> with a title I mean I, I think the PNR was a publisher and, and and I think somewhere in the first chapter I mentioned that phrase and you're like hey we'll go with that as a title I think my original title was like means of grace youth ministry but that wasn't going to sell and so they, <laughs> they completely uh, changed the title um, yeah so the the idea was I, I was in youth ministry for over a decade and and uh, and I was fully in the main line you know, entertainment-driven model of youth ministry. Mainstream evangelicalism, jumping down on one foot while chewing marshmallows over oh, burning coals or whatever. So many chubby bunny games, and we, <laughs> we would we would change it up to chubby spicy pickles or whatever it was, Ew. but it got dangerous. Um, swallowing goldfish, hiring high-priced bands, and, and every week, you know, we do something crazy, and, and I would, I'd, we'd finish up, you know, wrapping up that evening, and I'm thinking, well, what are we going to do next week? Because we got to keep them coming back, and this is what's keeping them coming to the church. Entertainment-driven youth ministry, right? And and eventually, I mean, because the whole goal was was numbers and success. Because youth leaders have great pressure from senior staff, from parents, from youth, from the the, the elders and deacons. You have all these pressures to 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 meet certain numbers. And that will drive you crazy if that's your goal and not faithfulness. So I'm arguing for a faithfulness-driven ministry over a success-driven ministry and a means of grace approach that, uh, that, that any minister, any leader in, in ministry should be geared toward uh, engaging and availing themselves to the historic means of grace and looking to God to provide the growth 
in both saving and, and, and sanctifying his elect. Mm-hmm. And part of it is a faulty definition of success on the part of these well-intentioned adults. So how are they defining success, and how is that different from how the Bible defines success as faithfulness? So usually the, we talk about the three Bs, the, the building, budget, and bodies. So the, the usual success-driven idea is let's have a bigger building, uh, a bigger budget, and more bodies, more people coming. And, uh, and the thing is, if, if that is your goal, it will either lead to pride or despair, because pride, you know, you have a great evening and all these youth are there and it's exciting and you, you walk away thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm doing great, you know. And, and, and then the next week, let's say you have five, six youth and then you're like, yeah, no one's going to come the following week and we're just done and what am I doing? And, and, but if it's faithfulness, if it's my job here is to be faithful to the means that God has given that he would be at work uh, through those means. That completely changes the perspective. And then you want to think, well, what are those means? And you start looking, and thankfully our confessional heritage uh, states it very clearly of the the ordinary means by which this happens in the Word and sacraments, prayer, these, these basic kinds of means that God uses to grow his people. Now, this doesn't happen in, the vo- in a void. This happens in context of home and the local church. And that's also missing in a lot of this discussion. Um, I had a had a student, uh, a, a leader, um, come to me recently, and he's asking for money. He's I won't say which nonprofit parachurch organization he was with, but he was looking for money to to do this. And he gives he gives me a thirty minute presentation. Doesn't mention parents or the church and at all. And so I asked him, I was like, you you spent all this time and you didn't mention the, the role of parents and, and or the role of the local church. These are the primary things the Bible gives us for knowing how to disciple the next generation. So, um, so you have that piece, you have the gimmicks piece, and then the answer in the local church through ordained leadership of, of the, the preaching and of, of coming in prayer together, of taking the Lord's Supper, and these basic kinds of things that God uses. When I was in youth group in high school, I remember I was just telling Dr. Shaw this in Hebrew— class. We watched the NUMA videos, the Rob Bell NUMA videos, and one of them, uh, Rob Bell talks about... So is this what you do in Hebrew classes here at no, CPTS? No, 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 no. <laughs> Zach tells stories that don't need to be told during breaks between in, in the middle of class. But I said, um, you know, then Rob Bell has a whole video where the main point is God's name sounds like breathing. So whenever we breathe through our mouth, we're saying the name of God. And Dr. Shaw just looked at me with this look of incredulity and just shook his head. And, and that's, that was about as deep as it got in, um, in a lot of our youth group. And there were lovely people there, had great fellowship, had a lot of fun. But um, I don't know how many of the people I grew up with in youth group are still actively involved in a local church of any kind, much less one that has a view of the Bible that we've been describing on this podcast. Yeah, the, the number is around 70% that leave the church by the end of their first year in, in, uh, college. in college. And and the Fuller Youth Institute came out a couple of years ago trying to give an answer to this. And I thought they were pretty close. They said one of, one of the main reasons that youth give for why they have left the church is a lack of inner uh, gener- or, or multi-generational worship and ministry. Yeah. And I think that surprised a lot of people. You know, for me, I was much more involved in— um, and this is 
showing my my background a little bit. I was much more involved in a praise team at my church, which I'm not on a praise team now. I don't intend to be on one in the future, but I was involved in a praise team that had um, people from ages, let's see, I was the youngest, around 14, 15 years old, all the way up to 60s. And that was much more fruitful. The times that we spent together in prayer, seeing these older men and women pray, um, and we spent in the Word before rehearsals, after rehearsals and things, that was much more fruitful than watching Rob Bell videos. No offense intended. But, you know, that... So the giving up the gimmicks book that that sounds really helpful to the church. You've actually had quite a reception for that book. Um, it seems like it's it's been a benefit to folks. But the main thing is cultivating this great respect and reverence, awe for God and the you know all of his, his whole character, as well as a love and excitement and energy about God. And I suspect you don't condemn buildings, budgets, and bodies but rather you're condemning the idolatry of buildings, budgets, and bodies um, over against faithfulness. That's right. So as, as, as we're going through this, we're seeing glimpses of your heart for this, this full, deep, rich, experimental piety, as we call it here at Greenville. And I imagine that flows in large part from your work studying the works of Flavel and suffering in, in, in Puritan literature. You've written a couple books about that. Your PhD work was on that topic exactly. Tell us a little bit more about the role, the role of those themes in the church today and why they're important to uh, not just be acquainted with, but to really be a uh, be deeply appreciative of. Yeah, I think the, the uh, we are largely lacking in a robust theology of suffering today in the church, and uh, and I and I and I believe that the Puritans have were, were great expositors of uh, this theme. Um, they all, most of them, wrote to some degree on suffering. Most of them suffered themselves. I mean, Flavel, he had three wives that died, uh, a son. He was constantly persecuted by uh, the state church. Uh, on the run, so he's you know as one example you know riding uh, on suffering uh, not from a ivory tower but one who is is living in and through it. Great book he has on on the preparations for suffering, and we don't think about those terms anymore. Those that kind of way of thinking, but uh, but certainly we need to affirm again the full character of God in suffering that He is sovereign in suffering that He is good that he is omnipresent. And if any of those are lacking, then we don't have a coherent and, and a consistent view of God or suffering. And therefore, when we do suffer, we don't know where to turn, how to think. Um, I think it just sneaks up on us and, and we try to pretend that it's not going to come. Um, but in reality, we, we do need to prepare to, to suffer well and to respond in ways that would be honoring to God, even in the midst of suffering. I've, I've had suffering in my life and health things and you know my mom's death and other things going on that 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 maybe I didn't suffer like I would like to but I want to improve upon my sufferings as the Puritans would talk about um, and and not just waste it and 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 really improve upon them that I would grow deeper in my fellowship and walk with the one who suffered for me what I'm not hearing is that you want to avoid suffering or you want to um uh, deny that it's happening or cover it over or whitewash it. I'm hearing you saying you want to improve in your upon your suffering. And that sounds an awful lot like what I'm reading in Thomas Brooks right now, Mute Christian Under the Rod. And it's deeply convicting. He says over and over again in different contexts from different 
biblical approaches to it, he says again and again, um, don't waste mm-hmm. the affliction when it comes. Mm-hmm. Don't waste the trial. Yeah. And that is, that to a modern mind is a paradigm shift. Oh, totally different. I mean, they would call the, the Puritans would call it the school of affliction mm-hmm. uh, because you would go there to learn. And, and, and it's, you know, the discipline of the Lord is, is not easy in, in the moment. I mean, Hebrews 12 talks about this. Um, but it's for our good and, and that we might depend less and less on the things of this world and more and more on him. And we would not be so bound to an idolatry of this world, but that those things would grow uh, dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Amen. And it's it's not simply what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, <laughs> that apocryphal Nietzschean saying, right? right? If it doesn't kill you, it could actually make you a whole lot worse off. You can yeah. become fragmented. You can become disintegrated. You can really be hurt and traumatized. But if you go into it having prepared mm. for an affliction, having prepared for trial that comes from the hand of your loving Father, assured of his love for you and his purposes, mm-hmm. even if you were to die, mm-hmm. then you will come out of it um, I don't know if stronger is a good word. Maybe that works, but more sanctified. Hopefully more sanctified. Yeah, yeah. more sanctified. So I thank you so much. And, and you're doing a work right now um, that flows or complements your PhD work. Tell us about that a little bit, the editing work you're doing. It's a major project. Uh, we don't know exactly how many volumes right now, but the Banner of Truth is uh, we're, we're working on uh, publishing his complete works, hopefully coming out. Flavel's complete works. Yeah, yeah, John Flavel's complete works, hopefully coming out in 2020. Um, the current edition of his works that are out doesn't include everything and contains a number of, uh, of, of errors. It was published in 1820, uh, reprinted by Banner of Truth, um, but they, they didn't go back to the first edition works. And so what we're trying to do is go back to those first edition works, recover those, and uh, and try to, to keep a pure flavor. Uh, maybe update a couple spellings, but but not a whole lot. I really try to, to preserve that voice um, so it's a it's a big project and it's it's exciting. You say big project. You told me a little bit before the interview the team that's working on this. To, uh, share that with our listeners. I think they'd be interested in. Yeah. So I've got a few um, uh, editors helping me uh, with it, and uh, and we've got a board uh, of advisors uh, that are giving big picture guidance on. Uh, I mean, you know, there's so much that we have to translate in this. I mean, he's is writing in English, but. All the footnotes are in either Latin, you know, Greek, Hebrew, and, and do we translate these things in the text? Do we put them in footnotes? What order do we publish the books eventually? I mean, all sorts of questions on how to make this most beneficial. We're aiming for the pastor here, most beneficial for the pastor. So it's not just uh, the lay person, it's not just a scholar, but somewhere in between between those. Banner's a sweet spot. So it's the banner's a sweet spot. So, um, but that's a... It's a, it's, it's a very fruitful labor, um, no doubt, because as I'm reading through Flavel, I'm, oftentimes I'll just stop and uh, thank God for this, 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 this soul and what he's done for us. So. To our listeners, if you don't read the Puritans yet, um, highly recommended, <laughs> at least at Greenville Seminary, yeah. we highly recommend reading of the Puritans because it's not just true for John Flavel, though it certainly is, but it's mm-hmm. true in Charnock, it's true at Brooks, it's true in Abrocco and many, many mm-hmm. others. Um, if read the Puritans and you will, and Owen, you'll, you'll stop and you'll just say, oh my, what a glorious God I serve. Thank you for 
giving us these men who point us to Christ. So I, we have a few minutes left before we have to head up to chapel this morning. Dr. Cosby is speaking in chapel and then giving a presentation over barbecue lunch to our students, faculty, and local pastors about the Gospel Reformation Network, of which he's the editorial director. So I want to ask you, what does that entail? We, we heard about the Gospel Reformation Network from Rick Phillips and Mel Duncan a few episodes ago earlier this year. I, you know, commend that to our listeners who want to learn more about the organization. Broadly speaking, they introduced us to it. What does it mean to be the editorial director? I think that's a growing uh, understanding. <laughs> I think that, um, no, it was, it was about a, a little over a year ago, and, and they called me and said, would you consider this? We're looking, because initially they had focused really only on this, an issue of sanctification within the PCA, and that it was, uh, it was not being addressed properly or enough. People, pastors were not calling congregations and their people uh, adequately to uh, strive for holiness. Um, and, and therefore, they're having an, uh, maybe an improper understanding of what sanctification is, progressive sanctification, definitive sanctification. And so that's how it started. But then they, they were seeing a number of other areas that they wanted to address within the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America, and, uh, and, but they wanted, they didn't know, they were wanting some help on expanding that vision. And so they called me and they said, would you, would you help us? And so we, uh, we entered to a, a, a partnership. And so what I do mainly is I, uh, I oversee a, a website of, of articles that are geared toward this, um, addressing a number of trends, uh, trajectories within the PCA, um, in a very in a very winsome positive way, trying to affirm the beautiful doctrines that we do believe in the scope of the church, uh, in the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ, and uh, and so I mainly do uh, the editing portion of of that. We also are putting we're going to be starting out uh, putting more videos um, on the website uh, as well. Uh, starting a podcast, uh, we have a, a ministry for pastors, companies of pastors, where they can uh, join with other ministers uh, to, to link arms and to, and to engage in ministry to discuss uh, those things together. We have a ruling elder resource page coming out, hopefully in another month, um, that I'm really excited about, getting uh, hopefully mobilizing a lot more of the ruling elders to be engaged in the courts of the church, especially Presbytery and, and uh, General Assembly. Um, so that's really, it's just a network. Um, it's a grassroots network, um, but we, we do love the PCA, and, uh, and I hope that your listeners would hear that. Um, we're not afraid. We, we do see concerns, and I think there's a, a false belief that a denomination will just remain faithful on its own without any vigilance without any effort and and that's certainly not the case and we history tells us uh that story and so we want to be remain vigilant in in prayer and in in in, in promoting these wonderful things we hold dear um especially as we engage in the mission of the church um so that's that's really what I'm, I'm doing. I help put on the events. We have a, a luncheon. I think you were at um, at GA. Yeah, I photobombed the picture. Evidently, that's right. So we have a we have a lunch. We had Kevin DeYoung speak uh, at that last mm-hmm. year, and uh, so we'll have a, a luncheon every year at General Assembly, um, and uh, we're we're oftentimes on on campuses. So uh, Westminster, RTS, Beeson. Um, so we're on camp. Next week we'll be at, at RTS Charlotte. So. Um, you know, you can come find us if uh, we're in the area. 
Well, that's good. I, I am thankful for your labors. It's um, very much akin to what we're doing here at Greenville, though more denominationally specific of uh, advancing, promoting, and, and, and holding fast to a confessional witness within our Presbyterian denominations. We have uh, a common love of the PCA as members of the PCA, and, um, and our OPC brethren here at, at Greenville would agree that what what you're striving for, what you're aiming for is, um, is certainly worthwhile and, and much to be prayed for as well. You know, I, I pray sp- especially for these companies of pastors that they would be encouragements mm. to the men that are involved. Mm. I, I have, we have a few of our graduates are involved in these across the PCA, a, a number of them. And with one voice, they tell me how much of a blessing yeah. they are. It's been a huge blessing in my life. The past three years, I've been in one of these, and uh, you know, I'm on a ongoing text message chain with them, and and just we spend some time together. We have a three day retreat every year together as well, and just it is a, a, a blessing in my life. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the PCA, especially if you're in a presbytery where you feel like you're alone, and 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 you feel discouraged sometimes, or you have that sense. I encourage you to reach out to GRN. I mean, these guys are pretty accessible. You know, reach mm-hmm. out to John Payne or mm-hmm. Mel Duncan or, mm-hmm. or Brian Cosby and, and ask them, hey, how can I get in mm-hmm. in one of these companies of pastors? I, I need some encouragement. Mm-hmm. I, I need help and, and how to be a good churchman in mm-hmm. my context. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they'll hook you up. I mean, they will, they will put you in a group that will serve you and your flock very well. So speaking directly to you all, um, brothers. Brian, thank you so much. We're going to head up to chapel and um, show you the building a little bit as well. But thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, please visit www.gpts.edu.